song that we just heard, um, Lord, I Need You, um, could be taken a couple ways, and there's room for both. The Lord, I Need You could imply you're not there, Lord, right? You can read it that way. Oh, I need you. You're absent. I need you. But it's maybe our awareness that's saying, I need you. I need to awaken to the awareness you're already there. So I need the awareness of your presence. So, because Christ never leaves us. That's going to be part of our message today. We've been, we've been talking about who God really is, dismantling some of the myths we've had. And you have to go back to the last week and the week before to uh, take in um, who God isn't in our misconceptions. It's pretty good. But today we're going to continue on what is God really like. And last week we kind of talked about the prodigal son and, and some of the connections there and the lens. But today I want to take even further. But before I do, i got a devotional I want to read to you. And then I came across this yesterday. And I thought I'd just share it with you about faith. This is from Francois Dutoy. He says, faith is not something we do to persuade God. Faith is what happens to us when we realize how persuaded God is about us. <laughs> That's different. Because we've been told we have to you know, have more faith, which implies you actually can get more faith through self-effort. That's not it at all. But if we know God is for us, oh my goodness, I thought that was a really great quote. Henry Nouwen has a small devotional on pruning. And again, this connects to our misconceptions of who we think God is. In uh, John 15, uh, it says, Jesus said, I'm the vine, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears no fruit, he cuts away, and every branch that does, not, that does bear fruit, he prunes to make it bear even more. So this text, if you keep reading, has been used to imply, hey, look out, you better watch out, you better not cry. Because somebody's watching you the whole time, and if you screw up, you're going to cut you off and burn you in hell. How many have heard that lens from this text? I grew up with that. It's awful. And it wasn't until, was it day, somebody Wilkinson wrote a small book, Abiding in the Vine or something like that. I forget what it was. He also did the Jabez prayer. But whatever it was, that particular book was the first unpacking introduction to yet another lens. Oh, wait, that's what we've been doing here for years, is finding different lenses, better lenses, more hope-filled lenses, uh, to see the scriptures. And that's what this text is about. You're not getting cut off as in going to hell because of something going on. Because the, the key is right there. I'm the true vine and my father's the vine dresser. Here it is. Every branch in me. Okay? You're in. That's really important to remember that. Let's keep going to see what uh, Henry Nouwen says. These words open a, a new perspective on suffering for me. Pruning helps trees to bear more fruit. Even when I bear fruit, even when I do things for God's kingdom, even when people express gratitude for coming to know Jesus through me, I need a lot more pruning. Many unnecessary branches and twigs prevent the wine from bearing all the fruit it can. They have to be clipped off. This is a painful process. All the more so because I do not know that they are unnecessary. <laughs> they often seem beautiful, charming, and very alive. But they need to be cut away so that more fruit can grow. It helps me to think about painful rejections, moments of loneliness, feelings of inner darkness and despair, and lack of support and human affection as God's pruning. I'm aware 
that I might have settled too soon for the few fruits that I can recognize in my life. I might say, well, I'm doing some good here and there, and I should be grateful for and, co- and content with that little good I do. But that might be false modesty and even a form of spiritual laziness. God calls me to more. God wants to prune me. A pruned vine does not look beautiful, (laughs) but during harvest time, it produces much fruit. The great challenge is to continue to recognize God's pruning hand in my life. And this part's true. When a plant is pruned back, it doesn't look all that great. It looks like, what? That's really skinny and nothing. Yeah, it's what it is. Then I can avoid resentment and depression. And become even more grateful that I'm called upon to bear even more fruit than I thought I could. Suffering then becomes a way of purification. And allows me to rejoice in its fruits with deep gratitude and without pride. People think that pruning means, uh uh-oh, we're going to get cut off. In fact, the one one line that says cut off uh, is actually a wrong translation. The, the word means to lift up, literally lift up and clean. I, I'll get into that another time. I, I've, I've spoken on it before, but I thought this might be helpful in our time of learning um, a better perspective of who God is and having to unlearn some things. God's pruning away false concepts, and Jesus did that. Jesus came to remove the faulty concepts the Jews had about his father. So we're doing that still today. It's crazy. So let's get into a more beautiful faith. Unlearning, revisiting, questioning, and growing. This is part eight. can't believe it's already there. What is God really like? Well, we said this last time. Everyone lives their lives based on their concept of who they think God is. Everyone. If you don't think he exists, you live like it. If you think he's a mean old ogre, angry all the time, and you got to tiptoe around him, you're going to live like that. If you believe he fully loves you, accepts you no matter what, you're going to live like that. Our Heavenly Father never condemns us. It'll rob you of intimacy and trust with God if you perceive him this way. It's really hard to cozy up to someone if you think they're always mad at you or doesn't even like you. I love this. And this requires some thought. Most people don't really want the truth. They just want constant reassurance that what they believe is the truth. That's kind of timely for these days. But when it comes to our concept of who we think God is... This is important. Let's take a look at some hope-filled, better perspectives of who God is. (laughs) This one's not common in our traditional religious world, that God is happy. Oh my goodness, when did you ever see a picture of God happy, a picture of Jesus laughing? There's been a few descriptions in the last couple years, but the idea of embracing and dancing over you. Wait a minute, I thought dancing was a sin. You know, anyway, A lot of churches really still believe that, which is nuts. Um, So he's happy, embracing, and dancing over you. He is just crazy about you. Nobody talks like that about God. God's too holy to have that loose language. Oh, yeah? Let's take a look at an old language of Zephaniah 3.17. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst. And by the way, this is Old Testament. This is when there was... uh, on and off concepts of God that were good, some were bad, and just back and forth. This is one of the good ones. The Lord your God's in your midst, 
a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He'll be quiet in his love. He'll rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Now, when was the last time anybody did some shouting over, over you with joy? Like, that's just weird, right? <laughs> it's like, get away from me. But this is the joy of God going, I'm excited about you. I'm thrilled for you. I love you. Oh, my goodness. You clearly don't believe me. I'm going to keep telling you how much I love you over and over and over and over again until it clicks. Another translation, New Living, says this. For the Lord your God is living among you. He's a mighty warrior. He will take delight in you. I love that. With gladness, with his love, he will calm your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. And in, in, in asterisk notes, it says, or he'll be silent in his love. The Greek and Seratic versions read, he will renew you with his love. It's God doing the loving, God doing the changing in your mind. It's not self-effort. It's called believe the voice that's coming to you. It's so foreign to some of us, we can't believe it's true. It's like, no. My background says that God's angry. He, he doesn't laugh or smile because the church I go to is so boring. You're not allowed to smile because that's what God's like. Like, it's amazing the concepts we have of God based on the style of, of our churches. And I've been a part of all kinds of churches. I call myself multi-tribal because <laughs> I've been a part of so many denominations. And that has become a gift to see different lenses and also realize there's value in all these different lenses. But I, some of them I just can't handle. I just, okay, got it. That's just not my thing. That's why we have many different families, but we're still one body. The message translation says it another way. I love this. God is present among you. Jerusalem will be told. Don't be afraid, dear Zion. Don't despair. Your God is present among you. A strong warrior there to save you. Happy to have you back. He'll calm you with his love and delight you with his songs. That is a beautiful translation. Did you notice the pattern of presence? <laughs> God is present. Which is gonna, I'm going to end today with uh, part of the talk on separations a lie. And so we're, we'll get into it. But this is, it's a constant theme here. One more translation, the Amplified Bible. The Lord your God is in the midst of you, a mighty one, a savior who saves. He will rejoice over you with joy. He will rest in silent satisfaction. Can you imagine that? God sitting back and just going, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> it's like quietly. And in his love, he'll be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. Holy smokes. Can you imagine that? What if God does not recall any of our sins? Oh, wait, he doesn't. So why do we? And why do we recall those of others? He will exalt over you with singing. Oh, my. Are you getting it? Here's one more. Set your mind on the great love that your Father has for you. And you'll see it make a huge difference in your daily perspective. God isn't watching your activity from a distance. He's in your midst. In the daily activity of your life, he stands ready to fight for you because of your great value to him. When Zephaniah said that God will rejoice over you, he was suggesting that God literally dances with joy when he sees you. Okay, pause for a minute. Have you ever seen a happy puppy or a dog that hasn't seen you for a long time? And suddenly they go nuts when they see you. Have you seen those videos or your own dog do that? Yeah, I think there's a connection here. 
I just, I really think so. <laughs> okay, when Zephaniah said that God will rejoice over you, he was suggesting God literally dances with joy when he sees you. The Hebrew word for rejoice literally means to twirl with delight. Oh, how conservative have we gotten. How boring have we gotten with our lens of who God is. <laughs> twirl with delight. He sings songs of joy when he considers the union you and he share together. Oh, shoot, that means you are in union. A lot of us don't even know that. We're trying to get in union. I remember reading a book a long time ago called The Pursuit of Holiness. Great book at the time. It was part of my journey. But looking back, I'm realizing, wait a minute, I was pursuing something I already had. It's like I'm trying to enter a room I'm already in, but I didn't know it. That's really what's going on here. We are in union. Your feelings may not confirm the reality of this biblical truth. But choose now not to allow your feelings to drive your beliefs. Ouch. Ooh, ah, did you catch that? Believe what he has said about you and stand in faith on that belief every day. As you renew your mind to know the truth of how God feels towards you. It will begin to transform your outlook on every detail of your life. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the opinions of people around you? Or are you going to believe the opinion of God who created you, who lives in you, and never will abandon you? I'm going to take that. Because sometimes the messages of people around us are not kind. Even our own mind. We don't even, our own thoughts sometimes get all scrabbled and messed up. And we don't, we need to be reminded of what God says about us. I love that. Another concept of God. He is welcoming, accepting, and affirming. We need this lens. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22 from the Passion Translation says, So you are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are the Children of the city of the holy ones. Ooh, I like that. With all the rights as family members of the household of God, you are rising like the perfectly filled, fitted stones of the temple, and your lives are being built up together upon the ideal foundation laid by the apostles, the prophets, and best of all, you are connected to the head cornerstone of the building. By the way, we just sang the song Cornerstone. The Anointed One, Jesus Christ himself. This entire building is under construction and is continually growing under his supervision until it rises up completed as the holy temple of the Lord himself. This means that God is transforming each one of you into the holy of holies, his dwelling place through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. That's a lot of content just now. Let me go back for a second. You're not foreigners or guests, but rather children of the city of the Holy Ones. The, with all the rights of family members. Now, last, last week we talked about the prodigal son and what happened there. Um, in my discussion with our Grounds and Grace group on Friday, uh, Norma, I think it was you. Yeah, Norma said something that I never caught before. And I know the story. Come on. I really know the story. I know it well. Can't learn anything new. Ha! Well, in the story that she 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 hauled out a, a gem. Oh, it was Elizabeth. Both of it. Oh, quit being so nice. <laughs> I'm so anyway. Here's what here's what came out of this. It was really cool. We were talking about all the money being given to the son, and he took off to spend. 
but we never, I've never focused on or had anybody really say and draw attention to the other son also got his money. Oh. So, okay, he got his share too. And he didn't say no. <laughs> we don't have that in the story. We're, we're, we're embellishing a little bit here. But the, the idea that both sons got money, and maybe that's why the older son was ticked off when the other one came back, is now you're using up my resources. Selfishness again. It's crazy how that can go. Thank you for that. I, I will never forget that. It's just, it just makes me think through that even more. But this is the idea of we're family members. So here's this whole idea that God is transforming each one of us to believe that God is welcoming, accepting, and affirming. If you remember the story in, uh, oh, shoot. Uh, I go to prepare a place for you. I think it's in John. I forget where it is. I, just, I don't have that recall real quick. But he says, I go to prepare a place for you, a place of many mansions, many rooms. Do you remember that? And when I'm ready, I'll come and get you, and you'll be, when I, you know, I'll bring you to where I am. But I always thought that was like, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. You remember that whole idea, I get a real mansion, and mine's going to be nicer than yours. Yeah, well, I do more good, so mine's going to have an extra playground. And we just kind of do this competition with Christians, because the more we do, the nicer our place will be, as if that's really true, baloney. Here's what I think's happened. You're the room. You are the mansion. Jesus was going to the cross to prepare us, to make us new creations, and it happened at the cross. It has happened. It's not about destination obsession. When I get to heaven, then. No, it's now. It's happened. You are the holiest of holies. <laughs> Maybe that's new to you. Ponder it, please. He's gracious and gentle. Not ticked off, angry, and abrasive. <laughs> John 8, 10 to 11, or 9, 10, 11. Upon hearing that, her accuser slowly left the crowd. By the way, the preface to the story. Here's a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. It was pretty graphic. And this was a complete setup to see what Jesus would do. And so they're going to stone her. And so Jesus shows up. And because uh, this was a setup. So he starts writing in the ground. We don't know what the words were. Lots of guessing. Nobody can possibly know the answer to that. If they tell you they know, they're making it up. Um, but here's what happens. Upon hearing that, her accuser slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, which is interesting. Oldest to the youngest. Why would that be? Oh, right. The younger generation... I remember being in Bible college. I knew everything when I graduated or came out of Bible school, right? I, I, I'm ready. I know everything. The older we get, the more we find out we don't know as much. And there's more knowledge, more wisdom out there than we ever dreamed of. And humility comes in. So the older ones were the first ones to recognize, hey, we can't judge here. They caught that. The younger ones took a little longer and they caught on. But they caught on. Until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman, still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? There is no one here to condemn you. Oh, sorry, is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. And this is the best part. Jesus said, Then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go, and from now on, be free from a life of sin or no longer be sinning. 
Quit repeating these harmful acts that harm you. No accuser. I was doing a personality profile with uh, a couple the other day and uh, looking through the reactions different personality types have to conflict. And one of them is accuse. <laughs> is, depending on your personality type, are you one of the ones that when you get into a fight with somebody, you immediately point out all their errors and deflect? Ooh. And then we project that on God, that God's like that. He's not. Jesus himself is saying, no, I am not condemning you. I'm not accusing you. Wow. Are you starting to see how a correct picture or a better picture of who God is and Jesus is makes a difference in our day-to-day lives? There's a lot of purging that may have to happen. People use the word deconstruction. But remember, the only thing that gets deconstructed was never true anyway. The renovation work's important. You dismantle and you, you look at your pieces, clean them off, and realize, ooh, there, some items got a lot of dirt on them. A lot of, we need to clean that up and put it back on. Okay, the core foundation's still good, but whatever stuff got added on and the misinterpretations of those items, here we go. A better God than we dreamed of. God is rich in mercy. We don't talk about this a lot either. Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5 says, But God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. This will drive every really religious person, every legalist, nuts. Why? Because it says God loved us. They can probably agree with that. Because, you know, it's kind of God's job description. God has to love us as he, you know, is required to. But it's more than that. Rich in compassion and mercy. And it says, when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, in the darkness of our minds, while we were still not knowing we needed some help, in that state of deadness and sin, we were placed into Christ. How does that happen? You didn't even say a prayer yet. You didn't get cleaned up. And yet, while we were still dead and doomed, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. Not everybody knows that, though. Not everybody knows that. They think they're still dead and doomed, or people don't give a rip. <laughs> That's your religion, whatever. But regardless, I see this beautiful text as, a, as Christ taking all of humanity and doing to us what needed to be done that we didn't know we needed done to us. Saving, cleaning, renewing. We've been made new creations. We have been reconciled. This is a big deal. I'm not making this up. It's all here. He is not distant from anyone. Ooh, I love this from Richard Rohr. We cannot be, so we cannot not be in the presence of God. All you grammar and English teachers, just plug your ears. But it's still true. We cannot not be. There's no place God isn't at all. But, but what about, and there's a whole list of whatabouts, a lot of yeah buts, and if you have steel-toed boots, you know what we can do to some of those butts. But anyway, here's where the problem comes. If you're just tuning in now, I am not in agreement with this. Just 
just in case, okay? I'm, I'm using this as a, uh, to show you where we get faulty concepts of God from. This is in almost every single one of the evangelism tracts that go out or uh, four spiritual laws, all that stuff. This is the big lie that was brought in and it's that we're separated, that sin separates us from God. And it's about an actual separation. And I think this is a complete lie. It's awful because that's not what the scripture says. Isaiah 59 says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear your call. It's your sin that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. This is a snippet used in those tracks. This comes right from them. Well, then God must be mad. I'm sorry. Let's keep looking. You can't just take one uh, cherry-picking verse and you're going to accuse me of cherry-picking the other ones. I'm sorry, I'm going to pick the hope-filled lens. Okay? I have to, because that's what Jesus does. So from the four spiritual laws, number two, the, the law is man is sinful and separated from God. This is how we introduce people to Christ. Let me tell you something. God loves you, and you're separated from God. How lovely. What an encouraging thing to just draw and woo people in. Oh, yeah, sign me up. Woohoo! Ugh. Anyway, I'm not going to read all that, because it's a waste. And most of you know about that, the, the illusion of that. But what about God cannot look upon sin part? This is a big question. Wait a minute, I thought God can't look on sin. Oh, really? Doesn't the Bible say that? Well, it does, but we need to put that comment in context. And that's what I want to look at just before we wrap up today. It was Habakkuk, the prophet, who said that as he watched evil people seemingly get away with their sins. Ooh. That should be a hint. Here's the whole quote in context. Your eyes are too deep to look upon evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Then why do you? Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up the more righteous than themselves? See, read the rest of the sentence. This is a big deal. To say God can't look upon sin... Is taking a small section. It's like somebody misquoting you. Don't you love when people do that? Uh, yes, yes. <clears throat> Here it is. So you can't use that text as the, as the catchphrase, and yet all those evangelism tracts do. Your eyes are too pure to look upon evil, and you can't tolerate wrong, so why are you? In other words, it made no sense to Habakkuk that God was looking on sin when Habakkuk believed that wasn't possible. Our Old Testament prophets had a concept of God, and some of it was right, some of it was off, it was, it was incomplete. Jesus even said, no one has gotten it right yet. No one has seen the Father, except me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus corrects the images of the entire Old Testament. There were some snippets that were great. Oh my goodness. He was smearing the face of God with the guilt of shame of humanity, the same way Adam had done when he hid himself in the Garden of Eden. Because he thought God wouldn't want him to look at him after he sinned. Adam was wrong. We remember that story. God came for his walk that day, just as he had every day. And Habakkuk was wrong too. The fact that God can look upon sin says something. Some people act as if the relationship of God the Father to sin is like Superman's aversion to kryptonite. 
They act as if God is afraid of sin, but nothing can be further from the truth. I remember growing up being told, if you go sin and you watch a bad movie, Jesus is outside the theater. If you go into a bar to drink, Jesus has to wait outside. He can't come with you because he can't stand sin. And the, the list was unbelievable. Like, it just makes no sense. It makes no sense. In Christ Jesus, sin has been destroyed. Finished. End of story. Through the finished work of the cross, sin has been defeated. God hates sin because of what it does to us, not because it does anything to him. I believe this comes from one of Steve McVeigh's devotionals from a number of years back. I didn't make this up. Another note, if God can't look upon sin, then why on the cross Jesus took our sin upon himself? That's a good question. And where was God at that moment, turning his back on Jesus? Not a chance. We're going to cover that at Easter because I love that theme. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. See, this love story, this trinity is better than we've been told. We cannot forget it. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He became sin for us. He took the curse upon himself. He's not allergic to sin. <laughs> Separation from God is an illusion. And don't you forget it. This is good news. Next week we're going to continue on this because it's, it's a big topic. Um, but last night as I was getting ready, I thought, oh, I'll never get through this. <laughs> and I couldn't. So anyway, this is, this is where we're going to end. If, if you don't like this, Great. Maybe I've agitated you and you need to go do some research because there is another lens if you haven't been told. God is not ticked off with you. He's not separated from you. He's crazy about you. Dances over you, even if you think dancing's a sin. <laughs> oh my goodness. There are more hope-filled perspectives. And the more we grow and mature, just like the older men walked away, we too, as we get older, begin to dismantle some of the faulty concepts we've been told and never question. And I think we need to question the answers that, that have been given to us. We're going to find hope in all kinds of categories. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, we're going to find hope in lenses that we've never been exposed to. In the Catholic Church, we're going to find lenses that we've never been exposed to and, and don't understand the meaning. We're going to find it in the Church of God, the United Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Lutheran Church, you know, all these churches. We don't spit at them and go, wow, they're wrong or right, because there's a few churches around that do that. The moment your church says we're right and all the other ones are wrong, run. That's the start of a cult. And we've got a few around here. It's awful. The body of Christ is the church, not a building. And I've always told you, don't trust what I say all the time. Check with the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to confirm, is this true? If your heart's already telling you it's true, that's great. That means there's something jumping for joy in you, but still go look it up. That's why I use so many verses to show you the tapestry of beauty that has been revealed to many of us. And if you can't see it, I want you to be able to see it. Sometimes it has to be pointed out. I've had a lot of, a lot of good news pointed out to me. I did not come up with this. I've had good mentors, good teachers, which exposed me to other people who've also had a saying. Even this morning, uh, I found a post from, um, oh, Kate. What's her name? I forget her last name. Darn. Anybody remember who I'm thinking of? Uh, Kay. Kay Fairchild. Thank you. 
So Kay, if you're watching what you do once in a while, her post this morning blew my socks off. I copied and saved it. I got to save this for Easter. This is incredible. And the essence of the quote was something to do with uh, Golgotha, the skull, Calvary. And what is the skull? Up here. And what got renewed? Our mind. Golgotha, skull, mind. <gasps> Unpack that just for a minute. There's a lot of stuff connected to that. So I loved it. I, I still need to reread it. But just like that, we, we are triggered with good news. You're not done learning. Nobody arrives. That's why the Wednesday morning program is called Still Growing in Grace. Because we are all still growing. I thought I had arrived at one point. I thought I knew what grace was because I had the, the PowerPoints and the workbook and the diagrams and the charts. And this is how I was supposed to believe it. And then God said, that's nice. That was a nice tutoring job. It was helpful. But now there's even more. And when I started to see more, I was stuck. I was like, oh. Um, how am I ever going to explain or understand all this? There's so much more. That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. I'm inviting you into a journey of expanding your understanding. That's it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for those who needed to hear today that you are crazy about them, that you love them, but you even like them, can you just speak that into them until they get it? Woo them, dance over them with joy, even if it's awkward because we're not used to that in our culture. But in a way that communicates it to each one listening, do that for us, including me, because I forget sometimes. Thank you for your love, and thank you that your grace saved us, not our fancy decisions and choices. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right couple of hellos from people that I didn't get a chance to uh, call out. Nancy Jenks, good morning from Waterloo. And Sandy Prince from the UK watching. Good morning to you. Well, it's probably afternoon to you in the UK. Uh, thanks for chiming in. Uh, Wayne and Jackie. Oh, oh, yeah, we got that already in there. Um, Francis says, Rachel's my niece. Now I wish I did come in person. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so just kidding. Um, and Jen Nye says, hey, Mom, good to see you. Speaking of Mary Nye, so it's mother-daughter watching two different locations. That's really cool. Really cool. Uh, Cecil in Texas, good morning. And Linda, I think you're down in Wallsburg, Linda. I think, I think, I think. So, yeah, so we got people watching from crazy places all over the place. This, this church family, while we may not have many here present, some watch online later, some watch and, and heckle or comment, and uh, it brings value. The reason I bring you these names so that those who are present know who's also continuing, we're still connected, and those watching are watching from different places, and they can hear, oh, I didn't see their name, but they're watching from another platform. So this church is, not, is still going and going. So it's very, very exciting. So online donations can be made via e-transfer through that link or go to our church website, donate here button. Uh, it's not a great big button, but it's a, it's a humble little one. I'm sure you can find it. Anyway, there you go. And then next Sunday, we'd love to see you all again next Sunday. You don't have to register, and we're doing coffee. Oh, we're doing coffee, and I make good coffee. Uh, movie night on Friday. 
Um, so that's on 7 p.m. starts, uh, just after 7, so please be here early. And uh, you don't have to register for that. And then if you're not on our email list, just send me a note, uh, give me your email address, and then you can be part of our weekly emails that we send out with all the updates and information and whatever. You can cancel anytime. If you're on our email list and you don't want to be anymore, just right back, say, hey, you can take me off, uh, not take me off, take me off, <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll gladly do that. We don't want to bombard anybody with emails. We usually send one a week in that ballpark. That's it. So thank you, everyone. Have a great week. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.